my name is Omar uh, Wanomren, and this is my channel of Pace to Pure God. Today, my subject that I've prepared for you and myself is captioned, Who is God? However, before we get into all that, I'd like to play one of those tunes that some of you, or many of you, might be familiar with. Okay. prepared for you and myself today is captioned, Who is God? The idea of God is one of the most complicated, most intricate, and yet one of the most interesting and the biggest subjects that can ever be discussed in this world. Many people, including scientists, paleontologists, all those kinds of people, have created their various ideas on who God is, like what kind of person he is, where he lives, what, how he behaves generally. Many scientists have come up after making various calculations, putting various theories together, that the idea of God is impossible to believe because the idea that this person doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't drink, he doesn't do any of those things, neither does he abide by flesh, blood, or bones, if we Luke chapter 24, verse 39, or the idea that he, is, he never has a birth date, and I'll never have an end date. These are some of the things that just don't give room for people to really believe that God exists. However, the Bible does not give such views of the existence of God being false. Rather, it uses various stories, explanations by some of prophets God himself ordained to give that understanding of who he is. Of course, we're not expecting to know everything about God because he lives in that different realm. In this same space, though, that's something we have to always understand. God doesn't live in this other area or something like that because if, of course, scientists say that this world is infinite, the universe is infinite, which may or may not be true, then, of course, God can be living in another space because in any dimension, in any realm, infinity or infinity is infinity. So, therefore, God can't live in any other space. He lives in the same space. But it's like we live in a 3D world and then he lives in a 4D or 5D or 6D world. Just a different society where they don't have to really travel anywhere. They already know where everything is, what's going on. Whether they're in Canada or in, they're in Australia, they know what, where, what's happening all the time. And God is, of course, the supreme being living in that realm. We must understand who he is. In order to worship him, once again, he's one of the most complicated, the most intricate, yet the most interesting subjects that we can ever discuss in this world. To start off with, God acknowledges that there are other gods in this world. This is an important mention because many people have thought that God thinks he's the only God in this world. 
it's not wrong to say that he's the only true God in this world, but or even the only living God, but we can't say he's the only God in this world because there are other people who people worship, many of those animals, Satan, the devil, those people, we can consider them gods as well. However, God is not only the only true God, but he is the biggest, he's the best of all of those gods. And in fact, in Psalms chapter 95, verse 3, he stated, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. You can also read Deuteronomy chapter 10, and verse 16 and 17, and 1 Corinthians chapter 8, if read verses 5 and 6. God also has many names. This is also an important mention because many people just call God, God. And they think that that's the only thing he can be called. And when people were like, well, what's his actual name? They're like, well, God. However, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, he's been called Jehovah when he was introducing himself to Moses, even though the Israelites had been just calling God, God or Yahweh or whatever. Then in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, before this, he'd been called the Almighty God, reflecting on his power. In Daniel chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14, he'd been called the Ancient of Days, reflecting on the fact that he ha never has an end date and has never a birth date either. If you read Psalm chapter 90 verse 2, chapter 93 verse 2, and other places in the Bible, this was explained, and, and many other things. His son Jesus Christ also has countless names. Because as time went on, people just decided, especially among prophets and people like that, they came up with names to call him, reflecting on some of his personalities or attributes and things like that. Now, one of the most important things we have to talk about is his person. And this is where we're going to be breaking many lies here. To start off with, God, once again, is not a person who lives in this outside space. He lives in the same space. That's why in Matthew chapter 18, and read verse 20, where two or three are, ga are gathered, God or the, or the angels or whoever is could be present there. So that doesn't imply that they are somewhere else, that they're just in a realm we can't get to. We're never going to be able to see them. We'll never, we'll never see God because he's just too powerful for that. If we read John chapter 5, verse 37, Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, and 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verses 15 and 16, nobody should ever hope to see God. Nobody's going to, nobody not ordained by God will ever be going to heaven anyway. So it's not going to exactly work like that. But God lives in the same space, but just at a different level of power, just in a different kind of realm. We must always understand this. God shows himself as a person of ownership. And as a result of a spirit, as that he is a spirit, somebody who should always be worshipped. Read John chapter 4 verse 24 and Isaiah chapter 43 verse 21, such topics were explained. Then there have been visions that prophets of God have been given, helping us to have a little better understanding of who he looks like, let's say. Because that's one, one big question that if you go outside the Bible, you will be able to answer. For example, a prophet in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 18, had had seen a vision of God, and so does somebody who kind of looked like a man. But a much more detailed one is the vision that Ezekiel got in Ezekiel chapter 1, from verses 25 or 26 to 28, the end of the chapter, where Ezekiel described what he saw. He saw a man, essentially, with waist, with a waist, or loins, as they called them there, with the general body parts. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when 
God and Jesus Christ were designing the idea of man, how he looked like, it tells us there that we look like God. It was in his image that we were created. So, of course, once again, the inner parts of us, like our heart, etc., those are not necessary for spirits to live, but they have a sense like us. They might not have noses or eyes, because once again, they can see all over the place, but they, they have that same kind of structure. He has uh, the same form as us, or the same shape as us, generally. But the most important part of this is his personality. Even though we're never going to see him, no matter what he looks like, that's of no relevance or importance to us. But we have to understand how he behaves, how he's like. The Bible does not demonstrate this God as just somebody random who doesn't have emotions, doesn't feel anything, just created us and he's living as people think, in this own realm that we can't reach or something like that. He is, we have to understand him in a more inside sense, like not somebody completely outside, because you can't worship somebody who you don't even really believe exists. You have to worship somebody who is sort of closer to you, somebody who you can actually be a friend to, somebody you can actually make a bond with. God, just like us, when you put all his attributes together, because you can divide them into so many different ones, you get four attributes, wisdom, power, justice, and love. And we have to understand how God has not only demonstrated them in the Bible and in other places, but also how he is going to be demonstrating them in these last days, the last period of Satan's wicked rule over the earth, as he has been ruling for thousands of years before, a stolen rule from God Almighty. Let's start off with wisdom, let's say. God has demonstrated his wisdom and the and the ability to create this world and all the various physics and rules that he has used to make it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, he was called an only potentate, and that was a part of it, the omniscient, the ultimate scientist. He knows science not only better than anybody else, but he created the science that scientists are studying, discovering, as they say, and those kinds of things. But he was the engineer behind it. It wasn't something that just created itself. God actually created these things, co-created, of course, by Jesus Christ as well, because he was the one that made all other things besides himself and God. If we read Colossians chapter 1 from verses 15 to 18 and other places all over the Bible. And when we look at ourselves, it's an even better example. We are actually not that large. The tallest you can be is about nine feet or so. That's really not that large. But the amount of brain cells we have, the amount of nerve cells we have, we have the amount of blood cells we have, goes up into the trillions. In order to have trillions of anything, it's going to quite take quite a lot of land, but we have trillions of stuff in our size, which actually isn't that large. And in Psalms chapter 139, verses 13 and to 16, David the Psalmist admired, not really himself, but God especially, for how he was so delicately, so intricately made, the idea of life, how it worked, and he called God a very smart person for that. So, of course, if we study this the idea of biology, we'll see all of these things as well. Then, he also demonstrated wisdom in the way he interacted in the Bible. He always got the last laugh, if I may say, because nobody could outsmart him in any case. And Paul warned us about how God can be very smart with us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. We should never try to deceive ourselves because God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall we also reap. Once again, Galatians chapter 6 and verses 7 and 8. 
And when Israel was dealing with God and they were being very stubborn, even though God really loved them, he had to show them, a, teach them a lesson, essentially, because he is a man of principle, and that overrides all his attributes. If you read Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, actually a part of his justice, because the way he deals with people, sometimes his love can be overruled by certain things just to make sure he is kept in the way he's supposed to be. So he had to buffet them, and sometimes he likes to boast to them that, oh, look at me, I'm still here, but... The people that sinned, they're all gone now. Where are your fathers? Where are all those things? Read the books of Zechariah, Zephaniah, etc. They all used the, the calamity of Israel to, of course, warn us on how we should be behaving to make sure we do not fall in the same ditch or trap that they did. In these last days as well, God is setting up a kingdom. Essentially, just as how Satan has his kingdoms, physical ones, of course, but on a bigger and more important scale, the spiritual ones that he uses to make sure that everything that he wants done can be done in the way that he wants it to be done. God is just copying that idea, but then making it different, using his ultimate power, using his status to make sure that everything is done the way he wants to. So if we read Psalms chapter 145, verses 10 to 13, David the psalmist honored God for the amount of wisdom, power, justice, and love that are all coming together to make this project work the way he wants to. And though this is an unprecedented time of history. It has never happened before, and God never wants it to happen again. It's a kingdom that will never decay. Read Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, Ezekiel chapter 38, read verses 19 and 20, Haggai chapter 2, and verses 6 and 7, and many other places all over the Bible. Then God has demonstrated his power, in some things that we use as wisdom, that I, or examples that I use for wisdom, for example, creating this world also took a lot of power. The Bible gives us an account of, in Genesis chapter 1, how he created this world, and it takes a lot of power to do that. Not only wisdom, but that ability to say things and make it happen. It was all a very complicated and powerful process that he used. Then when he was taking the Israelites out of Egypt to completely defeat and destroy a whole empire to bring a small, useless, powerless nation, read Exodus chapter 9 verse 16, chapter 12 verse 12 and other places, just to make sure that he did things right, also took a lot of power. There were other examples, of course, when Israel was buffeted by God, that was also a lot of power. And then the power that God is demonstrating in these last days is the biggest amount of power. It's been called so many things. The Battle of Armageddon, the Battle of the Great Day of God Almighty, the Last Days. So many things. Jesus Christ being the head and king of his glorious government, if we desire, chapter 32, verse 1. All of it is requiring a lot of wisdom and power to make sure everything goes the way he wants to. In fact, he's putting so much effort and power into this that anybody who tries to stop the process makes sure it doesn't happen. God is just going to turn it around, flip it, do whatever he can to make sure that it really just helps his thing or the kingdom so that you only have two sides. It's rather you fail to worship him. He uses whatever you do to help as the establishment of his kingdom and then you don't get to reap the rewards or you're on the other side on his side of the army where you you do what he asks you to do you help the kingdom process by telling people about it helping the saints do their side of the work and then you will not only be 
of course, helping the kingdom process, but you will get to reap the rewards. Such rewards as there being eternal peace, there being no more wickedness, Satan being defeated and his judgment coming after, and many of those kinds of things. God has demonstrated his love, starting off by doing, by, for example, the story of Israel, how he brought them out of the wilderness. He didn't have to do that because he, his, the worship that we do to him or to how we worship him doesn't really affect him. For Job chapter 35 verses 5 and 6, if we are wicked in this world, it does not affect him. Whether we, if we like God, if we worship him, if we're like David or Solomon to him, even though he likes it, it doesn't really do anything to him. He's just over that boundary or just over that line that our worship actually has effect on. He, we, it's just for our own good that we worship him. Whether we worship him or not, whether we get eternal life or not, it doesn't mean anything to him because the kind of realm that he lives in is just so much superior to the kind of realm that we live in. So that must always be understood. Then the ransom sacrifice was a great example of his love. How for John chapter 3 verse 16 and 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 to 11, we never loved God, but rather he loved us and gave his son Jesus Christ as a propitiation or a ransom sacrifice for our sins. We also read Matthew chapter 20 verse 28, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27, and many other places all over the Bible, especially in the New Testament, since, that, since the ransom sacrifice was the main talk, because that, that was the main event that had happened back then. Must always understand this. Then the final one, the the love that God is demonstrating for this for us in these last days, despite His justice, is that He has He has taken time to choose saints that will be sacrificed essentially, since they're going to be persecuted. God still going ahead, getting them, putting them together, and sending them out so that people can hear about the word of God and then hopefully, by God's grace of course, create various and new organizations that people can flock into and actually learn the truth, trying to diminish the false prophets organizations that are deceiving people, getting themselves punished and those people as well. If we read Isaiah chapter 9 verse 16. Then God has demonstrated his justice first in the Garden of Eden, of course before Back in the heavenly realm, when Satan had sinned, God had already pronounced judgment. Some of it mentioned in Isaiah chapter 14 from verses 12 to 15 and Revelation chapter 12 from verses 1 to 12. But regardless, he had to bring that judgment upon Adam because he gave him a condition and of course Eve too in Genesis chapter 2 from verses 15 to 17 or spe specifically verses 16 and 17. But yet they still decided to not listen to it and we all know how that went in Genesis chapter 3 from verses 1 to 6 and it from verses 16 to 19 was where God really gave the judgment starting with simple things like the man ruling the husband the man ruling the wife and things like that but the to but the most important part of it was that they lost their eternal life and the whole purpose of the ransom sacrifice wasn't so that if we just say we believe God we should be we will be saved but just to take that burden away from people who worship God as good as Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, or Jacob, etc. I think it is clear now who God is. I must once again emphasize what I have said is practically nothing compared to the amount of things you can write a book in 
or any of those things that people decide to write books on. But I have tried to summarize what the idea of God is. And of course, we have to make sure we continue reading the Bible, building our understanding on it, just to get that kind of bond. It's, it's, a, it's like step one to obtaining salvation. There's, of course, the work we have to do in order to make sure that we obtain salvation. But the final thing is, many people think that because God is, of course, small compared to the earth, of course, and things like that, people think that God might not see their sins, but we must once again, I must once again emphasize that God sees everything because he lives in a realm where he doesn't have to travel to see stuff. And if he wants to travel anywhere, if need be, he it just takes a second. It doesn't take a minute or an hour like we do. If he wants to travel from North America to Europe, it's like an eight-hour trip. We have to pack up and everything. Angels, anybody in the spiritual realm doesn't have to do that. They just go from point A to point B in an infinity small amount of seconds, essentially. It just takes no time. If you read Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24, Psalms chapter 11, verse 4, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, and many other places all over the Bible, it was emphasized that God still sees everything because to him he fills the whole heaven and earth. He sees everything. He knows everything. He does whatever is necessary. And if you're doing deliberate sins and thinking you won't be seen, you're not deceiving God. You're not deceiving anybody but yourself. I choose to end on that subject, who is God. And um, I would like to play another tune to uh, close on the subject, who is God. today, feel free to share a message at https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Once again, that's https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Hope to hear your wonderful feedback.